1: Welcome back to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. This is part two of our discussion of Scott's new book, The Founder's Evolution, Conquering the Journey Every Founder Must Face. Now, in this second of these two episodes, we're going to go deep into the practical implications of the seven stages of The Founder's Evolution. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, usually what hosts like me say at this stage is I strongly advise you to go back and listen to it. You really should go back and listen to it because the framework or what we're about to discuss is in that previous episode. So you haven't listened to it yet. Go back, listen to it. Brilliant episode. Uh, Pause for a second. You've done it. You're back. Great. Now that you're all caught up, we're going to get into the detail of how you transition through the seven stages. And the first question I have for you Scott, is probably the most frequent question I get about predictable success in the model there is, can you skip a stage? Yeah,
0: uh, I wish. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so first, this kind of, it, it has a couple of presuppositions built into it. One, that you know where you are and you know where you're going. And I just want to make sure it's clear. The point of this model is to help folks to, to diagnose where they are and where they want to get to. And not everybody has to go up and to the right. Some will always be star uh, players or, or startup entrepreneurs. Some will, you, know, you can pick whichever stage you want to stay in and make it your home. But if you want to get, you know, so let's say from stage three to stage six, you got, and this is so common. Stage three is our reluctant manager. They've got people. They hate leading people. They just right. want to do their thing. And they're the great idea at this stage is I'll get someone else to run the business for me, right? Uh, I'll get someone else who can handle all the the little bits and pieces. And and what we try and do is skip all the way to stage right. six. And while functionally, you can pull that off to a certain extent. There's two things that happen. One, it doesn't work as well as if you had gone all the way through the process, right? It's just, and I cannot you know, say this in a way that is going to emotionally connect with the person who's doing it, but just suffice it to say, it's not going to work as well as you think. The second thing is you increase your likelihood of failure or falling short or having to settle for less by a hundred X or it's just... You haven't, again, you haven't figured out how to manage people. How can you manage someone who knows how to manage people? And so anytime you try and skip a stage, you will invariably stunt the growth of your own development as a leader and your organization as well. Now that doesn't come with judgment to say that you can't do it or or you're a bad person if you do it. You can do whatever you want. But when we start to abandon the pattern, the likelihood of failure goes up exponentially. The second thing that happens, just, just, just you know,
1: before we get into the second yeah. thing, Scotty, uh, real briefly, um, on that first one, not skipping particularly the two stages that you talked about, do you think that, is it, is it possible for a serial entrepreneur who's done it, you know, maybe multiple times before, are, are they more likely to be able to say, yeah, I see what's coming and I know that I can do it because I did it before, but I'm, I'm going to accelerate through that.
0: Yeah, what I tend to see is uh, there's a couple of deviations from the the standard, which is, would be partners, right? If you go into business right. with two people, that can be, that's, that's going to look a little bit differently. Right. The other part of it is what I generally see in that sense is a rapid escalation through the same stages. Right, where they move through them, it may take you 20 years the first time. The example I always use is, I used to change the, my own brakes on my car, right? And the first right. one, you do it once a year or once every however many years, I don't even know how often you change brakes in a car, but it was often enough that I completely forget how to do it every time. Okay. And so I remember I was changing the brakes on my 95 Audi uh, Q, uh, A6 and it took me four hours to change the first brake, right? It took me 20 minutes to change the other three yeah, you know, and so that's what ten step. Now it looks like I skipped all kinds of steps on the back three, but I didn't because the brakes work on all of them, Would right. <laughs> so what 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 we tend to do is rapidly accelerate through each of the stages because of the lessons we've learned if we act each stage out appropriately, right? right. The temptation here for folks who've been to later stages is to to regress to a, another stage, maybe for a new endeavor and try to keep behaving like the later stage
1: right? That doesn't work either. Right. That's a really good point. And I I stopped you. You were about to move on to your second
0: one. Yeah. And so second is uh, the more likely scenario is you're going to end up fighting two battles at the same time, right? So for those who try and skip that stage one of learning how to get into the game and just go straight to stage two, I started the thing. A lot of the time why businesses fail in that first few years, that early struggle stage that we talk about is because they're trying to learn how to do all the stuff that they could have learned to do when they had time, right? when they had money, when they had a little bit of margin, and now they're trying to figure both out at the same
1: time right I, I, that makes absolute sense and I, and I, I really liked your uh, earlier point a moment ago about it's easy to see uh in retrospect in the rearview mirror that you know as as you were coming along the founder's journey, you needed to change your behaviors in order to succeed in each stage then, you know, if you are fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to be a a serial entrepreneur and you're doing it second or third time, it's absolutely categorically, categorically just as bad to try to bring all the practices you learned in stage seven and try to start there on stage one. That'll kill you in so yeah. many different ways. So you identify in the book three primary places on the journey where founders get stuck. So tell us what those three places are and what should they do about it?
0: Yeah, these line up with the three challenges and it's kind of the root that causes each of those challenges. So remember the first one's a, a nimble organization, the gap between where you want to be and where you are, is just it's just agonizing. And what's happening there is what I call the star player paradox. And, and we've, we've talked about this, alluded to it a couple of times and that is the more competent you are as a star player, the harder it is to become an effective captain. The better you are with the ball, the bigger the gap is between you and the people you're trying to lead, and the more likely you are to undermine their growth. The other interesting thing is, uh, especially for founders, we kind of use ourselves as a model for performance assessment, for hiring, right? We're trying to hire Mm -hmm. people who are like us. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you have this really, really competent person, the gap between you and what's needed for the job, right? is so big that you can't, again, can't tell if this person's just not like me, but competent enough, or if they're just not competent. Right. And so it, it, what I found, the folks who struggle the most, this is usually that stage three issue. The ones who struggle the most in stage three are the ones who succeeded the most at stage two. Right.
1: Yeah, you put it well in the book, you call the star player paradox, right? And that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, theoretically, that's the best thing in the world to be, but it has an awful lot of problems. If you convince yourself you should be replicating this, yeah, and you know, it, it, first of all, it's almost impossible to do because those people aren't out there, and secondly, if even if you were vaguely successful with it, you get into the all-star team problem, right? Where bringing in superstars to do everything doesn't mean you're going to have a superstar team. Not that's difficult. a different thing altogether. So that that's that's one.
0: The second one is what I call the chief executive shift, right? It's that move from founder to CEO and, and to scale, you need to stop using your superstar skills at decision-making. This is usually where they start showing up. Right, it's our magic eight ball uh, we've got inside. Uh, I think you call it the golden gut. Uh, and We have to start building a team that's capable of, of what you've coined, the high quality team-based decision-making. We have to move from making poli- policy decisions, being the genius, to making people decisions, knowing how to build and orchestrate the right team who can make those decisions far better and far more consistently than you can.
1: Uh, it's uh, and it's problematic, I think, for a lot of founders because it's not so much the taking on of the chief executive side of the mantle; it's letting go of the founder aspect, isn't that right? That yes. uh, you know, one of the things that I that I i say to people i mean if i see somebody with founder and ceo on the card if they're what they're talking to me about which they typically is why they call me is because they genuinely want to scale not just grow the business but scale it 1st I, I say to them the first thing you got to do is just drop the fund or something you got to yeah. not use that ever again apart from when you're talking uh you know about ownership issues with your accountant or your lawyer or whatever and i said well why is that i said well you know it basically what what it says is God. It says, you know, I I get to decide anything on any whim at any time. And of course, that's true. But if you want to hold on to that, you'll never really become a CEO. You've got to put self-imposed disciplines in place. And that's really tough, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and it's funny that you say God because one of the places where we have the primary offenders for this is in the church world. I work with lots yeah. of churches, right? And you yeah. have this senior pastor, right? Founding pastor. Founding pastor, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's the exact same thing. We use different language. We spiritualize it a lot, but it's right. the same, same thing that has to happen. Uh, and, and it's it's really hard. It's genuinely hard to do. And one of the things that I say, one of the essential strategies is you got to go get help, right? You got to get a guide someone who can call you out tell the emperor he doesn't have pants on right someone who's not in your sphere of influence who's not orbiting around your sun right? Uh, and and who can tell you the truth but is only doing it cuz they want to see you succeed
1: right right they're not they're not making a judgment they're just telling you you know if this is what you want to have happen this is what you're going to have to do and i know it's really tough but you're going to have to you're going to have to do it
0: third you're one here the- yeah. Third one, uh, secret is what I call the secret to successful succession. And, and it's this. Successful succession, that's hard to say, uh, okay. is not about finding a CEO to pursue your vision for your organization. This is earth shaking for folks, right? It's about finding the CEO that you trust to create the next vision for your organization. Right, Absolutely. I was consulting with a group, and and they're like, "We got to find someone who's got our core values." I said, "No, you need to find someone who's ready to set the next set of core values for your organization."
1: I you could you, can, you can want country. them to be congruent. Yes, yes,
0: but there's going to be an evolution there, right? Uh, there's this. It's really really brutal. But there there's this church. Uh, I think they were in Texas, and they 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 were literally shrinking because their their congregation was dying. Uh, you know, the, they were aging out and they're like, they're, they're desperate. They go hire a consultant to say, hey, help us figure out what we need to do to change. Right. How can we succeed uh, as a church? We need to grow. He comes in, interviews everyone, uh, sits through a couple of services, comes back two weeks later to sit with the uh, the board of elders and they say, what do we do? And he said, well, you put a fence around the outside, charge admission at the gate and uh, for how church used to be done in the 50s. Right. And, and that's what happens to these organizations. If you put someone there to just do what you always wanted, right. you're, you're, you're forever capping their ability and vision at what you always wanted. They become caretakers and a museum of the vision of the past. Right. Right.
1: Not a vibrant visionary organization to lead forward. That's a really good point. And, you know, it's the flip side of something that you, you said uh, in our previous episode, where one of the challenges of the founder. Is when it gets to the point when they're having to ask themselves, "If I'm not my business, who am I?" Yeah. This is the same coin, and it's the other side of saying, "If if my business, my organization isn't me, what is it?" Yeah. And and am I prepared for it to be something different? You're yeah. absolutely right on the button with that, Scott. So I have a personal. Uh, uh, interest obviously in the model that you put together. You and I met and bonded and became friends, colleagues first, and then friends over the Predictable Success model. And you not only know it incredibly well, you run this Scale Architects group, which are the Predictable, predictable Success licensed practitioners. That's hard to say as well. So you know you're steeped in the Predictable Success model. I've never seen anybody ever pick it up uh, as intuitively as you do. Um, so tell me where you see the founder's evolution, founder's journey fitting in alongside the predictable success model or does it at all?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, for those who know about the predictable success model, describing the founder's evolution is very, very simple. It is the founder's personal journey to predictable success. That's it, right? It It's what's happening between the ears and inside the chest of the founder as they go. And one of the things that I found as I was implementing predictable success is, is the biggest problem you have is the founder, right? Now they're the ones that are paying you and bringing you in. So they're right. also the biggest answer to the, the, the biggest part of the solution. But uh, particularly in the fun stage uh, you have these organizations that are doing really well. They're not necessarily looking for help because all the numbers are ticking up and to the right. You know, they're selling more, they're hiring more, they're doing more, they're getting accolades. But what I found was even in the midst of all this you know, significance and success, founders are really, really, really struggling. They're burning out. And so if we were to quickly line them up, stage one happens before early struggle, right? And hopefully if you do stage one right, it shortens early struggle. Uh stage two is uh, is usually square in early struggle. So startup entrepreneur, you're there by yourself. We talk about this in Predictable Success. You got to get at least the visionary operator thing working together. So you got to have a couple of people. You can get out of early struggle as a startup entrepreneur. You can do like you and I do and have your own great kind of solopreneur thing. Uh, you got a couple of people to help around you, but you you don't really have a huge management burden. Right. It's usually in early part of fun, maybe even late early struggle, that you've got enough people to actually have to spend time managing them. Right. Uh, and so usually early to mid fun is that reluctant manager, and then mid to late fun is that uh, the the captain on the field or the disillusioned leader. And that really hits hard in in whitewater. Right. That that disillusionment reaches a peak in the whitewater stage because it's not just Personally, challenging your organization is struggling because of it, and uh, so usually that shift to CEO is is a it, it. I mean, not usually it is a necessary and essential part of getting out of whitewater into predictable success.
1: It's, it's the, a pivot between yeah. late whitewater and early yeah. predictable success. Okay. It's right on that pivot point. Because
0: you can, I can tell you tips and tactics and tricks all day long, but if you keep coming in and running your your founder freak flag. It's, none of that's going to stick. It's not going to work. So right. the the key point here, because then there's predictable success in treadmill and we go down the recovery side. The key is you want to do succession before you hit treadmill. One of the big, big mistakes that we make is we wait until we're ready to leave, right? right. Which is for most founders, usually treadmill. It's a little bureaucratic. There's not room for vision anymore. We've kind of chased ourselves out. What you really wanna do is leave whenever you you can leave the organization in the best shape it can be in, which is going point. to be predictable success.
1: What a great point. We have another element uh, in the predictable, predictable success model. I can't say the name of my own model, uh, which are four leadership styles. And you've sort of alluded to uh, a few of them. I and mean, I know many of your listeners would be well aware of it, but we've got visionaries, operators, processors, synergists, and our world most successful founders uh, they'll have a range of styles, but their their primary style is almost always that of the vision visionary. Is this only for visionary leaders? Uh, where do the other styles fit in here?
0: Yeah, so it's a great question. Uh, typically, uh, you're going to see to to really walk through this founder's journey, you got to have at least some visionary style, and I would say most of them are what you and I would call a dominant visionary. Right. And this book in particular is written for dominant visionaries. And it would be nine other books to describe what you do if you don't have those styles. But where this, where these two intersect, and we're not going to teach what the styles are. You want to find out about them. There's, there's stuff on both our sites, predictablesuccess.com and scalearchitects.com. You can find all kinds of stuff about it. But the really fascinating thing that I found is that we're progressing through these stages is that it starts with learning to lead yourself. Right? Uh, again, you're essentially learning to lead a visionary. How do you build an, an environment for a visionary to succeed? That's what the star player thing is about. Your first couple of people are there to just support your your visionary craziness, right. Uh, and then what happens is that a shift changes, and this is in that reluctant manager role, you have to learn to lead operators right the 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 organization you're building is no longer a visionary based organization it needs to become an operator based organization it's still led by a visionary but the ethos becomes more operator centric you have to learn to lead operators now right. once you get to stage 4 and you're starting to build a leadership structure you're starting to put systems and processes in place you're wrestling with some of that white water that we've talked about Now you need to learn to lead processors. And a big part of the disillusioning process is leading processors, right? Because I mean, you know this better than anybody. They are so different. When you look at not like me, that is the picture of not like me is visionaries and processors. And you and I can have a great laugh at this because we are both both, right? We're both visionary processors. So all of that happens in our chest every single day. But the, the big part of the disillusioning process, you mean I got to lead that guy too, right? The bean counter that I've been feeding for the last 15 years, right? You, you tell me he's necessary
1: for scale? By the way, I've been trying to keep out of my ecosystem for so yeah, long. Yeah,
0: I have actively resisted and, and a big part of my success has been actively resisting them. And then fascinating thing, once we get to that chief executive, we're making people decisions, not policy decisions. We have to get more synergistic visionary operators and processors, right? We need that synergist style. It's a big part of what separates executives
1: from just the leaders that you've been leaning on so yeah. far. That's very well put. And I, 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 I hadn't thought that element through until I heard you share it. You know, one of the things that, that I, I really loved about the Founder's Evolution is it, it, it's like my two do books. It's short. You can read it in one sitting. I was able to read it in in one sitting, um, but it's incredibly practical and you pepper it throughout with what you call essential strategies. Tell us what those are. I, I, I don't mean to list all of them, but tell us what an yeah. essential strategy is. Give us an example or two.
0: Yeah. So we've kind of been talking about them along the way. And and this is where a podcast is not the format that we can really dive into it because there are essentially, right, to overdo that word, there's two or three for every stage. When you multiply that over seven stages, we could spend a long time talking about 20 some odd strategies. But here's the thing that, that I really want to get out of. Once you know what stage you're in or the stage, the stage you should be in, right? Like if you're still hanging on to stage two and you really should be three, When you want to know how to succeed in a stage, there's really just two, maybe three activities that are necessary for success in that stage. And it sounds overly simplistic and it's not in a vacuum and no one's ever going to just do those things. But if you give your best time and energy to those, you'll see a 10x, 15x, 20x return. And here's what happens. When I'm coaching folks on this in particular, uh, I I was just working with a a, a company and he was making that shift from stage four to stage five. We realized 75% of what he was doing he didn't have to do. Right? 75%. So the real power in this book and it's I made it short on purpose, right? It's the book that was written for founders because none of us have time to sit there and read lengthy, you know, uh, academic books is you'll get back the time that you spent reading the book in the first week you read it. Because you'll find if you know the two or three things that you need to absolutely need to be doing, that means there's 20, 30, 200, 300 things that you don't actually need to be giving your best time and attention. And the amount of freedom that comes from that is staggering.
1: Uh, I, I totally underline what you just said. I mean, I know from my own years as a serial founder. I mean, I'll just say what I, I'm fortunate enough that people said to me as well. I, I wish I'd had your book back when it was 22 and starting my very first go round and all of this, because it's not just the two or three things that if you do them, they'll make a big change. And that's hugely important. It's the dawning realization that the other side of that equation is there's 20 or 30 things I'm spending a lot of time on yeah. that isn't going to make me transition from one stage to the next. And I need to drop those off. Okay, good. It has been just a fantastic... Uh, a second uh, part of this two-part um, episode. I've got two questions left for you. In all of the stuff as you were writing it, you know, one of the things that I, that I really enjoy when I write a book is what. And I, I, there are very few things I enjoy in writing a book, but one of them is self-realization. You know, you you, you write something, and you think, oh, I just thought of something, or I saw something, or whatever. As you were putting the founder's evolution together. What's the biggest sort of hidden secret of developing well as a, as a founder, going through the journey that you wish wasn't secret at all that everybody got it?
0: Yeah, it's fun. I asked this question of all my guests. And and, and one of the things you hear is just about all of them give a different answer, right? Which is is probably profoundly confusing for a lot of folks. How can you have all these like really smart people all give different answers? And, and the reason why is because each of them specializes in a different stage of this journey. Right. And, and so when you look at it, you can actually see there's a handful of trends. And the biggest secret is that there is no one secret other than the fact that you need to recognize that the secret is always changing. And and, and that's, well, it's woefully exasperating if we don't have a map, but if you know what the different stages are, you don't have to be blindsided when that happens. And so the thing that I wish everybody understood is leadership is not static. There's not just one definition, particularly for founders. It's dynamic. It's consistently changing and we have to know how and when to evolve with it.
1: Uh, it's um, it's so easy to become the goldfish in the water, isn't it? And not realize that I'm the one that needs to evolve here. It's, you know, as a founder, it's so easy to look around and think, oh, this needs to change. And that person's, you know, not doing their job right. The demographic in my market has shifted, you know, all, all these new laws are going to shift everything. And, you know, I, I tell people a version of what you say all the time. It, The biggest challenge you have is is right here it's can you evolve to what's happening next and your book is literally a roadmap to doing that so final question take your guru hat off your author hat off your podcast interviewee hat off even your coach hat off you're a founder you're one of the people that you wrote your book for what stage are you are you at and what does the next stage look like for you yeah
0: we uh, uh we already kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier but uh, I'm one of those people who's you know going back to the future if you will right so uh Q the, the Marty Mcfly I, I I I did the journey again I, early in my career just had the, the wonderful luxury of being able to go through some really hard times growing a business and I made it to uh what was stage six and uh, I was far too young and energetic and stupid to be stage seven so I was like what am I gonna do next and so I started the journey over again and I am uh proudfully and horribly in stage two, right? Startup uh, entrepreneur. Uh, and uh, the, the, the next stage for me is actually to just embrace this stage. Uh, it's, it, I remember when COVID, I, I started this business right, out, right before COVID hit. And uh, I remember when it hit and like teams are going through, it's just a terrible time. And the thing that I missed the most was leading a team. Like leading a team through that challenge, right? It was that was so hard mm-hmm. for me and so painful mm-hmm. to not have anymore. And if I'm not careful, I will. I'll look down on being in stage two, right? I'll, I'll right. look as if it's a lesser thing, and and I'll you know try and pretend that I'm in a later stage every once in a while. It doesn't. It doesn't work. So for right. me, it's actually about. And this is something I talk about in the book. It's embracing the joy of the stage that you're in right now. Because one of the things is, especially as founders, we have this rush to get to the next stage. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And uh, and I actually, I, I learned this in part from you when you talk about how you named fun, right? Fun was one of the hardest stages to name. And you discovered it because people said whitewater wasn't fun anymore. Right. Right. The biggest tragedy of that stage and the biggest tragedy I see in this evolution is that we fail to embrace the joy of each stage until mm-hmm. it's gone. Right, we don't recognize the value of being able to just do it yourself. You don't have to wait for you know nine people or do the other thing. And so, uh, for me, it's embracing the joy that's only available in stage two. Right,
1: uh, uh, I love that. And it, you know, you don't do that. It, it's, I think, often you know one of the limiting uh, mindsets that we have as founders is thinking of our of our uh, businesses or our ventures, whatever they are as like one of our children. The reality is it feels like that certainly through the first early stages. And one of the things that you can do if you're not careful is not appreciate every single stage of your children as they're growing up. It might be challenging times like, you know, the two year olds, the adolescents, you know, everybody would love to just have wonderful times at every stage and I like that, but it's still a wonderful, wonderful experience. And you've described it incredibly well in your book Um, Just a reminder to everybody, this has been a two-part episode or a two-episode part, whatever way you want to think of it. If you've stumbled on the second part, go back to the previous episode, and you'll hear even more about the founder's evolution. Uh, Before we go, Scott, where can people get a copy of the book? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, for those of you listening, you can get it for free on our website, scalearchitects.com forward slash founders. Uh, you enter your name and info, you can get a, a download link right there. And I promise you download it today, you read through it. Again, it's a quick read. It's made for founders. Uh, it's, it's a half book, right? It's not even a full book and that's done on purpose. Uh, and, and you will save that time. If you implement what you learn in there, you will save that time this very week.
1: And if people... Uh, I've been listening to what you've been saying. I think I need to talk to this guy, same place.
0: Yeah. If you go there, you'll also see an opportunity to schedule a time with me. We can do a discovery session, sit down, find out what stage you're in, what stage is right for you, and I'll help you find out how to get there.
1: Well, as you all know, and I'll share with the listeners, I'm all in with Scott Ritzheimer. What, what, What you've done with the predictable success model and now what you've done with the Founders Evolution is just an incredible tool and resource for everybody. Thank you for asking me to come host it's been a privilege to do it and it's been nice to meet a whole bunch of new people and scott we'll see you next time
0: scott ritzheimer here thank you so much for listening to the secrets of high demand coaches podcast if you are a successful coach consultant or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any of those episodes, go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.